The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, girls. Appreciate that this morning. I want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, with me, please. Let's go to Matthew chapter number two this morning. And we will be concluding our series that we've been studying here on Sunday mornings that we've entitled Pressure Points. We've been looking at uh, problems that we face in life and specific scenarios or circumstances that would cause us to um, uh, face some problems and situations and and we want to make sure that we are addressing them and approaching them uh, correctly. We don't want to approach and uh, respond to these circumstances uh, in the flesh or in sin, but instead we want to address them uh, through the Scripture and uh, as the Lord would lead us to through the Spirit as well. And so we've looked at several different aspects throughout this series. We've looked at things like anxiety and, and injustice and depression and, and, uh, and uh, bitterness and the likes, and we've discussed a biblical response to those things and, and approaching them and letting the Lord work through us and, and use us in those ways. And as we close this series this morning, we're actually going to go to a portion of Scripture that is familiar for this Christmas season. And uh, in doing so, I want to invite you to look at Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 down through verse number 10. Matthew 2 verse 1 through verse number 10. We'll, then we'll pray and we'll jump right into the message here this morning. It says in verse number 1, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And uh, when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that that I may come and worship him also." When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Our Father, we do thank you for this morning and your goodness. We ask now that you'd give me the word to speak as I deliver your message here today. Help us to, uh, to grow closer to you because of it, that your will be accomplished, and let us honor and glorify you through all that is done. And uh, Lord, as we come into this Christmas season and and all of the busyness that is taking place, Lord, I ask that you'd help us to keep our eyes focused on you and uh, that we would not lose sight of why we celebrate here. Lord, we ask that you would uh, work your will and your way in this service here this morning, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When we think about the, the story of Jesus, this Christmas season and all that is going to take place, and when we think about that story, we probably think of specific characters. No doubt, Jesus probably being, hopefully being the first and foremost, right? 
And then after that, maybe individuals like Mary and Joseph and even the shepherds, right, as they were out on the side of the hills that day and taking care of their flocks. And then the angel, they, uh, the angels, they, uh, they appeared unto the, the shepherds and told them about Jesus' birth. And they came immediately and began to worship Jesus there in the stable. And, and we, we think about characters like that, and we probably think about the great faith of Mary. I mean, after all, here's this young woman, not married yet, never been with a man, and an angel comes and says, you're going to have a child. And the great faith of Joseph, uh, when he hears that his uh, soon-to-be wife or espoused wife, as the scripture puts it, is going to have a baby as well. And, and the faith of just believing that the, what the angel said and what God had brought, the, me, uh, the message that he had brought to them. Even the faith of the shepherds, right? I mean, here they are on the hillside and uh, say, come and worship this, uh, this newborn king, and they would leave and go and worship there. And while we often think about the faith of these individuals, I wonder, have we ever stopped to consider the great faith of these wise men that are found in the story as well here, the, the, as we read this morning? These wise men are probably better identified as magi. Uh, magi is, a, is a, a phrase or a term that you've maybe heard before. Uh, there's a famous Christmas story called the gift of the magi, and there's different things along those lines. So you might have heard that. But if you don't know what a magi is, a magi is uh, believed to be a descendant from the Medes, uh, and of course, uh, the Medes of the Medo-Persian Empire. In history, the Medes had been involved in an unsuccessful revolt, and therefore they were uh, forced into a more subservient position. But many of these Medes, they studied the sciences, and specifically the skies and astrology and um, astronomy, and uh, I should say, and many of the Medes, uh, being in that way, would serve the ruler that was in charge as an advisor. They would look to the skies to try to be able to find answers to different things that were taking place. And, and historians believe that, uh, that these, these magi would serve in that advisory role. And, and one day, these men, they, they see this star up in the sky. Now, listen, the reason why it seems so unique and new is because they spent their night studying the sky. They st spent the night stu studying and searching through the stars. And uh, so when they saw this new star, it motivated them to take a journey, to set out on a specific direction. They were from the east, the Bible says, and they made their way west towards Jerusalem. Uh, but what would motivate a group of individuals like these wise men to make a journey like they made? Because let me, let me let you in on a little, uh, a little tidbit here. If, the Mede, if the, these wise men for, from the east were from that area of maybe Babylon or the Medes or Persians would have been and such, uh, and made their way to Jerusalem, to, the, uh, to Bethlehem ultimately, their journey would have been roughly about 1,500 miles. So this was not a short journey that they would have taken. And in those days, there was no airplanes. So they didn't go on southwest.com and uh, get a, uh, a uh, you know, I want to get away ticket or anything like that. Uh, there was no buses that they could get on or train to hop on and, and uh, take the Polar Express over or anything like that. Uh, th there was no, hey, let me call up an Uber and uh, I, I need to get a journey over to Jerusalem. None of that was available. And so at best, they were traveling by some type of animal, maybe a camel or a horse or donkey or something along those lines. And in fact, in those days, the average journey that a person on a horse would make 
would only be roughly about 30 to 40 miles per day. And so when you consider that they probably took 30 or 40 miles in a day, then would rest and pick up the next day, and they traveled 1,500 plus miles to get there, this was not a quick or easy journey by no means. But what would motivate men like this? Now, while the Bible doesn't expressly state this, we go back to the Old Testament and we consider uh, the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, the people of God are taken into captivity by the Babylonian Empire. After a little bit of a reign, the Medes and Persians come and take over. And uh, while during their reign, I just wonder if a man like Daniel would have sat down with some of the other advisors, because that's kind of the role that Daniel would have served in his day, advisor to the king. In fact, we know that when the, when the king had uh, dreams and such, they asked Daniel to interpret them and so on and so forth. And so I just imagine that Daniel at some point in his career would have sat down with other advisors like these magi and began to share his faith with them, to share about a coming Messiah, a king that would be born uh, in their region anyways, off to the west, there near Jerusalem in a place called Bethlehem. And I just wonder that as the years went on, if these advisors shared this story with one another as they're looking at the stars and seeing all these things, and then this new, star, this new star appears, and it shines, and it gets their attention. And I just wonder if that had something to do with why they wanted so badly to get over there. But because of their familiarity with astronomy, these men knew that this star was not just some happenstance. It wasn't just something that appeared for no reason, they believed it to be purposeful and that there was a, a reason to follow it. And so they set out after it. Now you say, Pastor, how does this um, in, uh, come to being involved with our series Pressure Points? Because I would say that every single one of us in our lives have experienced times where we've had to make a decision on what direction to go next. What, what are we to do next? We might have had our five-year plan or our 10-year plan laid out, but then something happens and it's like, okay, is that the right choice? We've all probably come to what we call what? A fork in the road, right? We got to decide what direction we're going to take. And my friends, we find that these wise men no doubt believed there was a purpose to set off in the direction that they went. But as they set off on this direction, I think we're going to find, as we study throughout this portion of Scripture and look at some examples of other men throughout the Bible as well, that there are times where the direction that they went didn't always seem like they were making the right choice. We're going to see that today and, and, and our response when we feel those pressures, when we're pinched at that fork in the road, when we are pressured by did I make the right choice? Should I retreat and go back and turn around? Or do I keep pressing forward? Or which way do I go next? And, and in doing so, number one, I want us to consider some, some, uh, some misconceptions about direction. And I think we can uh, find some of these misconceptions when we think about some common misconceptions that people have about these individuals that the Bible call wise men. Now, if I were to ask you, how many wise men came to meet Jesus? The popular answer is probably going to be how many, church? Three. three. Now, did you know that the Bible doesn't specifically say there were three wise men, though? Now, here's the deal. I'm not making a, uh, making a big fuss about whether there was three wise men or 12 or 100 or one. It doesn't matter. 
uh, that's not the case here, but I think that misconception about the number there is important, as we'll see in just a moment. I think part of the reason why we believe, many believe that or would say that there was three is because how many gifts were brought to Jesus? There was three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And uh, although the Bible doesn't say specifically three wise men brought those things, it says that there was three gifts. And so in people's imagination, they just estimate that one per person brought a gift and therefore there was only three wise men. But nevertheless, I'm here to tell you this morning that that is a common misconception. There's no proof that that is true or that there could have been more or even less. How does that relate to our direction? Because I believe that there's a common misconception about our direction and our success in our lives as well. And many would, would, would go as far as to state that, oh, so-and-so is a success in their life, or so-and-so has reached their potential or done this or that because of the support system that they had behind them. They had X amount of people that was pushing them along and helping them to make the right decisions. No, no, there, there's no, uh, it's no coincidence that they became a success because they had everybody behind them. They had the support of everyone. Can I submit to you this morning that just because everyone's on your side doesn't mean you're going to make the right decision? I've known plenty of people. Let's put religion aside for a moment. I've known plenty of people who had a good family home. They've grown up where their parents were moral people and they had character. I'm not talking about they were godly necessarily, but they taught their children right and wrong, and they taught their children character and so on and so forth. And yet that child, as they grew up, made wrong decisions as they went along in life. And so here we have this misconception about numbers uh, with these wise men and, and you know why they were able to go and, and be able to, to be a part of it? Well, there was three of them, and so they encouraged each other along the way. I don't know how many there were, but I'm here to tell you that can, when we relate that to direction, don't misconstrue the fact that just because you have a support system that you're always going to make the right choice. Now, I'm not, I am not advocating then for being a self-made individual either. Because oftentimes when a person gets that attitude of, well, nobody was for me, everybody was against me, and I did this and I did that, what's that sound like? Pride. See, my friends, I think as we move along, we're going to notice in our message here this morning that it is not about me or they, it is about Him. And we need to just keep our focus on the Lord because on, on top of that, I've known plenty of people that had all the odds against them. And they were able to be a success for the Lord, not because of who they were, but because of who He was. And so when we consider this misconceptions about direction, one of the misconceptions about the wise men is the number of wise men that there were. And we, when we consider the fact about our direction, support does not mean you're going to be a success. Lack thereof does not mean you're going to be or not be a success. But what I am saying here this morning is who we put our focus on and who we follow matters the most. Another misconception about the uh, wise men is, is the time of their arrival. Now, if you were to pick up any uh, nativity scene on the shelves today, you're going to find little baby Jesus there in the, in the manger, right? You're going to have a statue of Mary and Joseph there watching down. You're going to have a shepherd with the shepherd's staff in the hood, right? And uh, be able to put there. You're probably going to have a donkey. And maybe even a sheep, especially if it's the Fisher-Price one like my kids have, right? Uh, you're going to have a little angel to put on the top of the stable and all that type of thing. And who else are you going to have there? Say it out loud. Wise men. You're going to have three of them, in fact. 
Now, here's the deal, though, my friends. It's more likely that the wise men came later on in Jesus' life than on the night or right after his birth. And the reason for that is, is found in verse number 11 of Matthew 2. Notice what it says. I want you to look at your Bible, look at verse number 11 of Matthew 2, and I'm going to say, all right, say that word out loud. So when I get there, I want you to speak it out loud, all right? So it says this in verse number 11, and when they were come into the what church? House. All right. It doesn't say they came to the stable. It doesn't say they came to the manger. It doesn't say they came to the inn where Jesus was born. It says they came to, a ha- to the house. In fact, in uh, verse number 16, notice what it says. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, so he had asked the wise men to go find Jesus because he was born in Bethlehem. They knew that by the scriptures. We'll get to that in just a little bit, actually, and how important that is. But then he instructs them that after they went and worshiped, to come back to him so that he then could go and worship Jesus. Of course, that's not what Herod wanted to do. And we see that in his response here. When the wise men did not come back because the Lord warned them not to go back, it says he was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Remember when they first came to, to Herod? He said, hey, tell me about when you first saw this star. He wanted to kind of pinpoint how long they'd been journeying and, uh, and how old this baby might have been and such at this point. And they go and worship Jesus, and then they don't return because the angel from God warned them not to. And so where did, where did Herod set the cutoff for those who would be killed? Two years of age. Now, if the wise men had came to worship Jesus at two days old, Herod was a little excessive in, in his order to kill all the way up to two years of age. The fact of where they came to worship and the, pri- the, the, the limit that was put on there alludes to the fact it was more than likely later in the life of Jesus, probably closer to two years old than when they arrived than any other time as well. Now, that with the length of the journey all kind of fits together, you say, is that a big deal? Not necessarily. If you have a, a, a nativity scene and it has the wise men there, I'm not telling you you got to go home and take them off today, all right? <laughs> What, I, what I'm trying to relate this to is this. Their, their timing is mis- many a times misconstrued. And how does that apply to our direction? Many a times people will say, well, the reason why they afforded this or why they got to this point or why they were success is because they were just in the right place at the what? Right time. Right time. My friends, that's just not simply the case. Because I've known plenty of people that had perfect opportunities in front of them, and they squandered them. See, a misconception in our direction is that, well, support or the amount of support I have, it determines whether or not I am pressing forward in the right direction. Another misconception in our direction is, well, uh, it just didn't work out for me because I just didn't have the opportunities afforded to me like others did. But I think the most important thing we see here this morning before we move any further is the leading of the star that we read about itself. Notice what the Bible says here about the leading of the star. It says in verse number one, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, it says, uh, in the days of Herod king, behold, there was, came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Why? For we have seen, notice the phrasing, we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now listen, when the, when the wise men came to, to Herod, 
they say, we have seen his star, and if this star, they had been following it it the entire time, why wouldn't it have led them right to Bethlehem or the house where Jesus was? So I'm here to say that there might be a little misconception about the leading of this star, maybe because of songs like We Three Kings, says what, that they were following yonder star, or traditions and things like that. But evidently, that they saw the star as they're studying the sky, it got their attention, they realized the importance of it, they set out on their journey, but apparently at some point, the star diminished and disappeared. Because they were on the right direction, they were going to the right location to an extent, And they knew they were close when they got to Jerusalem because it was the capital city. And in their estimation, what's the best place for us to start? Start with the man in charge. So they go to King Herod. They ask him some questions. They say, we're here to find this Jesus. Where is he at? Notice what Herod does. He says, let's get the scribes and the priests together. And they go to the Bible. And the Bible says he'd be born in Bethlehem. So what does Herod do? He says, go on over to Bethlehem. That's where you're going to find him. Notice verse number 9. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they, had, which they saw in the east, they saw it back east. They didn't see it in the east. It wasn't off in the east because that's where they were. Right? Are you following me? They were located east of Israel. They were located east of Jerusalem. So when they saw it in the east, it was, it's speaking of their location, where they were, not where the star was. So it says the star that they had saw in the east while they were back home, it appears, it says, and went before them till they came and stood over where the ch- young child was. And when they saw the star, guess what? They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Why did they get so excited to see the star as they came out of the, out of the uh, king's uh, court if they had seen it the entire way there? See where I'm coming from here this morning? Now you say, preacher, why are you making such a big deal about that? Because we're talking about the pressure points of our direction in life. If you've ever been in a place where you've made a life-changing decision and you've set off on that journey in that direction, you've probably come to a point where you've, you've questioned whether or not you made the right choice. Why? Maybe because things didn't work out as quickly as you thought it would or whatever. And it seems like everything that was leading you in that direction has kind of maybe fallen apart. You say, man, what do I do now? Do I pack up and go backwards? Well, I think we see from these wise men some particular things that we ought to do. And before we just look at the wise men only, let me say number two this morning, I want you to notice some models for direction with me as well. See, the experience that the wise men had is not foreign to God's people because the Bible is filled with examples of individuals whose God, God has come to them, given them a destination or a purpose in life. They set off on that journey, and somewhere along the journey, it seemed like God had kind of disappeared for a while, but God still had a plan for them. You say, Who are you? what are you talking about, preacher? Let me give you some examples. First, consider the life of Joseph. Joseph, in, uh, in Genesis 37, verse number 7, it tells us he has a dream. And as Joseph is having this dream, he sees, these, uh, he, he sees that, um, 
the, uh, the sheaves that are there are bowing down. His brother's sheaves are bowing down to his. And he wakes up from the dream and he goes and tells his brothers about the dream. And they say, are you trying to say that you're going to rule over us? Or are you trying to say we're going to bow down to you? Joseph said, I don't know. I'm just saying what, what the dream was. A little, a little while later, he has another dream. And in this one, the sun and the moon and the stars, the, the 11 stars made obeisance to him, it says. So he tells that story. And even his father then says, what's going on? Are you trying to say your mother and I are going to bow down to you? I'm here to tell you this morning that when Joseph had those dreams, I believe he had an inkling that God had a plan for him. I believe that God, he realized that God had a plan for him to lead and probably rule in some way or some place. He just didn't know how yet. But let's, with that in mind, consider Joseph's life from then on. He knows God has a plan for him to rule or to lead. And as he's moving along in life, instead of getting a throne, he gets a pit. Wow. How do I lead from a pit? Hey, up there. Uh, I need you to go. It doesn't work that way, does it? From the pit, where does he go? Into slavery. From uh, slavery with that band of gypsies, if you may, that go by. They sell him into slavery into Egypt, into Potiphar's house. While he's a servant in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife lies about him, and he finds himself from being not just a slave, but an imprisoned slave. While he's in prison, he meets two men, a butler and a baker, and they tell him their problem, tell him their problems and their dreams, and he interprets them by the power of the Lord. And of course, he tells them, "Hey, when he tells the butler, when you get out of here, remember me." The butler gets his place back in the court of Pharaoh, but instead of remembering Joseph, two years goes by. So all I'm saying is, here's a man who had a plan for his life from God Himself, and there's a period of time where it seems like God had had left him seemed as if he was following or traveling without a star, like the wise men had for a period of time as well. What about the story of uh, Abraham? God comes to Abraham. Abraham's just a a regular old guy, man. Like, there's nothing special about him. But God comes to Abraham in the Ur of Chaldees, and he says, hey, I've got a plan for you. I'm going to bring you to a promised land, and I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. Abraham says, that sounds like a good opportunity. I can get on board with that. So he takes off and follows the Lord, not knowing exactly where this promised land was. And he had his bumps along the way. Of course, we understand that. But he eventually arrives in the promised land, but there's still part of God's promise that's not there. You know what that is? A child. Hey, you remember that promise about being a father of a great nation of many people? He doesn't even have one child. So how's that going to come to place? Well, you say, oh, that's okay, preacher. The reason why is because God wanted him to get settled and get his roots placed there in the new land and everything before they have a kid. I mean, because if you've ever traveled with a newborn, you know exactly how hard that is. And so that's God was just blessing him. No, but consider, consider, Abraham, by the time he arrived in the, in the promised land, is 100 years of age. His wife, Sarah, is 90. So no wonder when they begin to hear these questions about all this, how can I have a baby in my old age? But we find that God was faithful even still. It sounds like to me that there was a period of time in Abraham's life, even though God specifically came right to him and said, I've got a plan for you, that there was a time where he was traveling without direction, traveling without a star, if you may, like the wise men. What about Noah? You know anything about that story? Noah's ark, right? Noah, God comes to Noah and says, hey, there's going to be this great flood that's going to be a result of rain. I can just imagine Noah saying, what? 
rain. Now, if you don't get it, there was no rain on the earth before the flood. And so this watery substance falling from the sky was completely foreign. But God says, hey, there's going to be this great worldwide flood because of the rain and the waters from the beneath that are coming up and everything. So you need to build this huge ark to be able to take care of the animals so that we can can uh, help the, the world to survive. And you need to preach and tell everybody of this coming judgment so that they can get on the ark and be saved. So every day Noah goes to work and he's, he's putting this ark together and he's declaring to everyone that there needs to be a repentance and get onto the ark. And nobody except his family believes. And every day he's going to work and no rains come. Every day he's putting more pitch onto the ark and no rains come. It seems like to me that Noah went through some time where it seemed like the direction he was set out off on maybe was without guidance. He might have wondered, am I doing the right thing? Have I made the right choices? He was following without a star, if you may, kind of like the wise men. But my friends, here's how I want to wrap it up here this morning. I believe from the wise men and from these three men we've already discussed, when we find ourselves at that fork in the road where we don't know which way to go, we find ourselves having already gone on a direction that we know the Lord led us in in the first place, but it seems like He's not with us there any longer or He's not giving us uh, good guidance through that time anyways. What do we do? Do we just pack up and go home? Do we just throw in the towel? What do we do? And so notice with me thirdly before we close here this morning, some moves for a proper direction. Sometimes we ask why we're going through the trial we're going through but the answer we receive seems like it's just silence, crickets chirping, right? And in times where there isn't a clear direction visible, how do we press forward on the journey that the Lord has set us on? Well, I believe there's, one, there's a few things that are true about the wise men and true about these, the study of these men that we, we've spoken about here this morning. And uh, these things, I believe, we ought to be true, be, make sure are true about our life as well. When we find ourselves at that fork of the road, when we don't know what to do next, here's what we do first. Number one, remain faithful. Remain faithful. If the Lord sets you in that direction and you believed that you followed Him at the beginning, just remain faithful where you're at. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Just remain faithful. I remember one time I was, uh, when I was a teenager, I was driving out to a friend's house and, um, and out in the country, so there's no street lights or anything like that, and it's pretty dark out there anyways, but I'm driving through the country and uh, through the cornfields there in Illinois and everything, and I hit a patch of heavy fog. I mean, I couldn't see anything in front of me. Now, I slowed down a little bit and such and all of that. But can I say that I didn't just stop and stay, say, I'm just going to have to wait it out and hopefully the fog lifts quickly. I could have been there until the next morning. I didn't retreat and go home. I pressed forward and remained faithful. Because listen, I wasn't going to get through the, the, the fog until I got to the other side. Sometimes our life seems like we've hit a patch of fog, doesn't it? We set out on the direction we believe God had for a life and it's like, where am I at now? That is not time to tuck tail and run. It is not time to give up and throw in the towel. It is the time to remain faithful. Why? Because we're reminded in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 24 that faithful is he that calleth you. If you're on the journey and on the direction that the Lord set you on in the first place, he is faithful in his calling to you. He said, because the Bible says, faithful is he that calleth you 
who also will do it. He's going to complete it. So the journey, the plan, the, the, the purpose he has for your life, if you started out on it and you feel like things are falling apart, it feels like there's, that he's maybe left you high and dry, don't give up. He's faithful. And so you remain faithful to his calling. Notice that as we look at every single one of these lives referenced here this morning, whether it be Noah, whether it be Abraham, whether it be Joseph, or even these wise men, they just stayed faithful to what God had for them. So what do we do when it seems like we don't have that direction clearly for our lives? Stay faithful, remain faithful. Secondly, follow the Word of God. Follow God's Word. You say, well, where do you see that in Scripture? Well, in the Old Testament with Joseph, he didn't have the Bible, but he did have revelations from God through dreams and such, right? And he just followed what God had told him. In Abraham, God came and specifically spoke to him and said, do this, go here. He just followed where, the God, where God's word, in his word, where, through his word, I should say, told him to go. Noah just followed by the will and the command of God. But notice the wise men here. The wise men started their journey with, a, with, a, uh, with that star, and he used it to be able to get their attention, to get them to come and start following. Partway through, the star seemed to disappear. They knew they were heading in the right direction, but they didn't know where to end. When they get to Jerusalem, they go to Herod, and they ask Herod the question, where is this king, this baby that was born king of the Jews? And where did Herod go when he didn't have the answer? He went to the scribes and to the priests, and where did the priests go? Notice verse number five. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets who wrote the, who, who, who the who prophets write, Scripture. So they went to the, scripture, the writings of Scripture and read out of the Old Testament prophecy in verse number 6. That's an Old Testament reference right there. Then thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So when the wise men didn't know what to do next, where did they find their answer? The Word of God. Now, my friends, I think of, of Moses, right? He leads the people of God out of Egypt. They come to the Red Sea. What do I do next? Talk about a pressure point, right? Millions of people underneath your care with the, with the armies of Egypt coming down your back really, really quickly. What do I do next? Do I turn back? Do we just surrender? What? I, we, I, I, you led me, Lord, to lead these people out of bondage, and now we're here. What do I do next? And God says, Moses, lift up your hands with your staff, and he parted the Red Sea. I'm, we don't have a Red Sea moment here this morning, my friends, but we do have the completed Word of God. We can go to it, and I'm thankful that it has answers, just like we've been studying for the last several weeks. When we face these pressure points, what to do next? So let me say, when we feel like we don't know which way is up or what to do next, let's just follow God's Word. Second Peter verse, chapter 1, verse number 19, uh, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed as unto the light that shineth in dark places until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Lastly, let me close with this. When we're at that point and how do we find proper direction and we don't know what way to go next, the very next thing we do is just trust God's plan. 
Just trust His plan. Because when God called Abraham, He had a plan to complete it. And Abraham stayed faithful. He followed God's direction throughout all of it. When His word came, he followed it. And when it seemed like he didn't know what to do next, he just followed and, and stayed in the, and trusted the plan that God had for him. Did God make him a father of many nations or many people? Yes, he did. The, the Jewish people are a direct result of that. What about Noah? When it seemed like all those days went by just frivolously working on an ark, did the rains and the floods come? It did. And did he save his family? Yes, he did. He just stayed faithful to God's plan, trusted God's plan, even when he didn't know what to do next. What about Joseph in the, in the pit, in jail, as a slave? What did he do? He just trusted God's plan. And God's plan to save his people came to fruition. He looked at his brothers who sold him into slavery. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He just shows that he, pro he trusted God's plan. I was reading... And uh, read a story about a little boy who, as just a young, young child, was involved in a tragic car accident. And then that car accident, although he survived, he lost his left arm. And as he began to grow, he was kind of a shy and timid young man. And trying to bolster his confidence, his parents uh, enrolled him in judo. Now, many thought that he wouldn't be able to participate much because of his handicap and so on. But his uh, trainer, his teacher took him under his wing, and began working this young man out day after day. And uh, he, he, his teacher was a wise old man and did something kind of strange to most people's perception. He taught this young man one throw that this young man practiced day in and day out. Every time he went to, to training, he practiced the same throw time after time after time again. While everyone else is sparring and doing other things, this young man is just practicing the same throw over and over and over again. Finally, a tournament came along after he had been practicing for quite a while, and the young man wanted to participate. Many didn't believe he'd be able to, but his trainer, his, uh, the, uh, the teacher said, yeah, I think he could, and so they enrolled him. And surprisingly enough, this young man fought in each and every, uh, every case until he made it to the championship match. Now, this championship match, though, was against a boy that was much bigger than he was, much older than he was, and the referees of the tournament even began to question whether or not this young man should continue on. But his, his teacher said, no, he's okay. I believe he can participate still. So with reluctance, they allowed it to take place. And the match started, and some intense moments went forward. And uh, this young man actually seemed like he was about to lose, and it was going to be quick work, actually. Until this, the older, much larger individual he was uh, facing in this match came towards him, and he saw the opportunity to put forth and use that one throw that the uh, teacher had been teaching him all those times. He, 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 he proceeded with that move, and it worked perfectly, ultimately allowing him to win the match. Everyone was, was just astonished at what had taken place. Everyone was astonished that this young man with a handicap path, with one arm missing, was able to win the championship match. Even the young man himself was astonished. He went to his teacher and said, how was I able to win? Sensei, how was I able to beat this individual with my handicap? And his teacher replied, there are two reasons, son. He said, number one, I knew that you had mastered one of the most difficult throws in all of judo. But secondly, I also knew that the only defense known against that throw is to grab the opponent's 
left arm. (laughs) Sometimes, my friends, when we're going on the path that God has led us, and we're trucking along, and then all of a sudden things seem to be falling apart. We've lost a close relationship. We've lost a loved one. Or the ground seems to be crumbling around us. We know we're going the direction God set us out on, but it seems like it's all falling apart. My friends, sometimes God takes some things away from us so that the devil can't get a hold of us. Sometimes he works in such a way to work his plan to get his work accomplished that to us, only being able to see on this side of things, it seems like things are falling apart. But in fact, he's making sure, he's guiding to make sure that we're able to accomplish his work and his will. So I'm here to tell you this morning, keep on practicing. Keep on working. Keep on doing the job that he sets you to. Keep on pressing toward the mark that he's put you on because victory is going to come through God's strength. Before I close, let me share this poem by Edgar A. Guest called Don't Quit. It says, when things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile, but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, Rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a failure turns about when he might have uh, won had he just stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You, You may succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. uh, Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night slipped down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned up inside out, the silver tint of clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you must not quit. When God seems silent in your life, my friends, don't give up. The pressure point of making the next decision, specifically when we're trying to do what God's will is for our life, can seem overwhelming at times. And I know for my life, when I have surrendered to do what I believe God's will for my life is, and I have a picture of what it's going to look like, and that picture doesn't start unfolding like I wanted to, I'm prone to questioning whether or not I made the right choice in the first place. And I can just pack up and try to go backwards and try to retreat and start all over. But the examples we've seen this morning, whether it be Noah, whether it be Joseph, whether it be Abraham, or whether it even be these wise men, even when it seems like the star has quit shining and we don't know whether or not we should keep going or not, just remain faithful, trust His plan, follow His word. My friends, you'll notice that when we do those things, that when it seems like God has somehow went silent in our life, we will see His will, we will see His work in our life, and we'll get that guidance just like we need, just as we saw through Scripture here this morning. And my friends, simply put, God has a will for all of us. He has a desire for all of us. 
And the ultimate will and desire is that none should perish, but all would come to repentance. He desires that you know him. He desires that you be saved and have a relationship with him. My friends, I'm here to just submit to you this morning that if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, the first step, the right direction, is to trust Christ today. For Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Can I invite you to stand to your feet with me, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning? Before we are closed with the service here today, I'd like to have a time of invitation. And if you're here and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, this is going to be an opportunity for you to come to trust Him and to know Him today. But my friends, I want to start with a, a one question first here is this. Is if you're here this morning and you know that Christ is your personal Savior, you know that you're saved and that you have a home in heaven, I just would love to rejoice with you. Slip your hand up and write back down as a testimony to that end. Hands all across this auditorium. I praise the Lord for being in the presence of other believers here today. I wonder if there's anyone here, though, who would say, Pastor, honestly... If I were to die today, I am not 100% sure that heaven's my home. I do not know that I have a relationship with God, that He is my personal Savior. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out or anything like that, but I do want to pray for you so that you might have the, tr the faith to be able to trust Christ today as your personal Savior. And if that's you today, if you say, Pastor, I do not know for sure that heaven's my home. I don't know Christ as my personal Savior, that I've been born again. Would you please pray for me? Slip your hand up and write back down. If that's you here today, just slip it up and write back down. One last question here. How many here would say, Pastor, I do know I'm saved. All that's settled, and thank God for that. But there have been times where I felt like I've been trying to follow what the Lord would have me to do, and He's just gone silent. Feels like the star has just went away, that I don't know what way to go next. And Pastor, would you just pray for me that when I face those times when I don't know what to do next, that I would do the example we saw through Scripture today, that I would just remain faithful, that I would follow His Word, and that I would just trust His plan. I don't know why this is happening, but it's part of His plan, so I'm going to trust it. I'm going to remain faithful. I'm going to follow His Word. I'm going to trust His plan. How many here would say, Pastor, pray with me that that would be my response in those times? Can I pray with you this morning? Just slip your hand up and right back down. Hands all across the auditorium. I'm going to pray. The piano is going to begin to play. And if the Lord spoke into your heart, if you're able, I want to invite you to come to the altar here this morning. If you're not able to kneel here at the front, maybe right there in your seat, you'd call out to the Lord and give him your heart and ask him to help you to remain faithful, to follow his word, and to trust his plan when those times arise. 